Hey guys, I'm Nick. And I'm Yuji. Welcome to Papercut. This week, The Brothers Karamazov, 1879, by Fyodor Dostoevsky. In its most purest form, in a nutshell, The Brothers Karamazov just tells the tale of the dysfunctional family of the Karamazovs, right? So you have um, Dmitri, Ivan, Ayosha, and their mess of a father, Fyodor Pavlovich. And through the relationships between the different characters, uh, different brothers, their love interest and their father and his love interest and how they intertwine, Dostoevsky manages to chime in some of his big brain thoughts about, you know, religion, family, morality and all that stuff. I feel like Dostoevsky actually makes these characters actually before, like, thinking about their backgrounds and how they grew up and everything like that. So, for example, I think two main characters, the I, w- I would call them both the driving force of the whole narrative. You have Ivan, who is cold, rational, a bit cynical, sees the world in numbers and uh, positives and negatives in zero-sum games, versus Alyosha, who is generous, kind, compassionate, religious, faithful, loyal, and you have these two characters, and they're not necess- they don't hate each other, don't, not at all, but it's quite interesting at times when you see their ideas clash together, and you don't actually like say, okay, that's wrong, that's right. Not, not immediately anyway, but Dostoevsky sort of paints out what happens throughout the entire story when these ideas are taken to like different scenarios. So I think that's where the book somewhat shines as well in this case. Yeah, um, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And actually, um, you know, one of the main exchanges between them two is like the Grand Inquisitor, which is um, probably one of the most famous parts of the book. And we might be a bit cliche of covering this, but you know what? Yeah, the Grand Inquisitor, um, for those of you who haven't read the book, in a nutshell, is basically like a, it's a thought experiment that uh, that's devised by Ivan himself. And Ivan's saying what would happen to Jesus Christ to the second coming at the height of the Spanish Inquisition. And, um, well, it wasn't a pretty, it's not a pretty picture, is it, Nick? Like, you've read, you, you've read, you've read the part, and uh, it, it didn't paint a good part, it didn't paint a good picture for the church, did it? Just to add on that, what happens is Christ gets captured by the Grand Inquisitor and is basically tortured and questioned, and uh, the Inquisitor starts a monologue talking about the three temptations of Christ. I think the first one was about Christ starving and he was trying to show that he wasn't tempted by food. And so I think the devil came up to him and said, oh, Christ, you should turn the stone into food. You know, you can do it. You, can, you know, you can do it. And Christ rejected that. And the inquisitor basically says, uh, you should have taken the food because, uh, you know, it's good food and you're not. And man would have taken food anyway. Like you can you can give all the man the morals in the world, but without the food. We're, we're nothing, we're, we'll fight for that. And Christ says, no. And to the second one, I think... Uh, the Inquisitor said you should have fr- like flung yourself off the cliff. cliff. And because your dad, God, yeah. would have saved you. And everyone would know, and therefore, like, there's no leap of faith part in the whole, like, Christianity. Because Christianity, like, right now, it um, relies on people believing it like inherently mm. but right now um, the, Grand Inquis- the Grand Inquisitor said you should have removed that part and just provided solid proof that you're a son of God and you get a lot more followers that way exactly 
And I think the third one is pretty self-explanatory. So the third temptation, um, the devil took um, Jesus up to a mountain, showed him like the entire city, like all the cities of the world. And he was like, this is all yours if you follow me. And basically the Grand, the grand Inquisitor said, you should have just taken the offer because by providing shelter, um, which kind of links into the food bit. So like provide shelter and then preach morals. If you don't let people have the comfort of a roof over their head, how are you going to preach to them to act like moral human beings? What's the incentive? And that's basically the entire point of the Grand Inquisitor's speech is that you need to provide a motive for people to be good. And I think it's a little bit more than that as well. Yeah. Um, in the very end, the Grand Inquisitor says, because you didn't do it, we had to set up the church to do it. So we had to ch- set up the church to give in food and everything. We had to set up the church to basically bind men into doing these things that are not always very nice. And therefore, like... Christ should have just done all these things so that they can have skipped this step of the church, basically. Exactly. And interesting to see what happens as well, because at the very end of the story, the Inquisitor lets Jesus go, and Jesus turns around, kisses the Inquisitor on the forehead, and walks away as a final sort of show of defiance. I think for me it shows that, you know, the temptations could have happened, and Jesus could have done what the Inquisitor said he should have done, but... They're just things that that won't be fulfilled. And I think it gets summed up by that very famous line, you know, man cannot live by bread alone. When you take it that into account, it just shows that, you know, Jesus probably valued the freedom of man to choose their own values, to choose their own wills and choices, as opposed to enforcing his own values and wills upon the others. That being said, I think Dostoevsky did hint at you know, sort of religious faith as the way forward and giving yourself to a sort of higher power. You know, that book was quite weird to me because um, I feel like people from both ends of the spectrum, so like people who don't believe in God or people who do believe in God, they will look at the story and they will come up with like a different conclusion to yeah. like whether whether this story is for the church or against the church. Yeah. I don't think the book was necessarily targeting the church, but rather to like it. I I, I see this whole book as like a a battle between like the high, rational, cold, calculated person versus the more sort of, for lack of a better word, faithful, religious, or um, uh, that that kind of person. More like the battle of like the brains and the heart, right? Yeah, something like that. Okay. And and like I said, the, the the inquisitor part is presented. It's presented by Ivan to Alyosha uh, to sort of break his will on the the concept of the church and, uh, and the notion of Christ as well. But you see throughout the story that, that that doesn't really happen to Alyosha and his resolve stays as firm as ever. Um, and, and I guess that's my problem, my semi-gripe with this book. It's that I think it's all Dostoevsky's books, if I'm honest, because... The main criticism I've always had of Dostoevsky is he always links everything back to Orthodox Christianity. And what happens is the only way forward in in, in terms of morals in that sense is like through the Orthodox Church, through Christianity, through the Bible and the Word of God. And I'm just thinking like it's 
It makes sense in a Western setting. It makes sense in the time he's written it. And I'm sure there's a lot of wisdom in it. But also bear in mind, there are a lot of other cultures that have existed without the loving embrace of Jesus, um, for one. And number two, uh, times are changing. We don't know if these, these rules still apply. That being said, I think they still do. They're generally quite easy rules to follow. So it's not hard. I guess on that note, we can move on to the ratings. Yep. And um, I think personally for me, I'll give it like an overall 7 out of 10 uh, rating. So I think as with all Dostoevsky novels, um, you know, it's just like a sneak peek into his thoughts rather than like an actual structured story. So the writing in itself is uh, quite naturally a bit disorganized. Mm. And there are parts where it's like quite difficult to read. So, you know, Grand Inquisitor being one thing, like for every Grand Inquisitor, there's like, there's like three times the amount of length of like just rambling and talking about stuff that I don't really care about. So I think for that sake, I won't give it like a too high a rating, but 7 out of 10 is given because of the parts that are interesting. They are yeah. pretty interesting. So it is a good book to read. I think it's a good book to read. It's I, I wouldn't even sugarcoat it though. You, it is a bit of a slug to read. Through. It is, yeah. It's very hard. It's the back, It's The setting's not very happy. Um, the characters are to some extent predictable, uh, but they're complex enough. They're not too one-dimensional. Um, to be honest, like if we just if you just skip the parts that are um, well that that are like boring and read the parts that are interesting, I think you get as much out of the book as if you just read the entire thing like cover to cover. And uh, potentially, uh, the only thing you would really miss is like the plot. Yeah. But honestly, at this point, like, but the how plot... much do you remember on that plot anyway? <laughs> if you like what we do, follow us on Spotify or in any of your other preferred streaming sites. If you want to leave us a comment or let us know what you think, you can email us at papercut.dust at gmail.com or Instagram at papercut.dust no caps or twitter at papercut podcast one word no caps look forward to seeing you guys next week for another episode until then i'm nick and i'm eugene peace out